All right, we're in Mark chapter 3, and what we're going to be doing is reading um, 20 through 35. Let's read together. Words will be on the screen. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you can have a seat. Man, I'm glad you guys are here with us. If you're new to Frontline, if you're new to what we do here, we're preaching through the Bible, which is what every preacher should do. And that's what we're doing is we're, we're just preaching through the Bible verse by verse. And Mark has been uh, where we've been in. We're going to continue to be in this gospel. It is fast paced. There's some crazy things happening in Mark. It's the shortest gospel, but man, it's packed. And preaching verse by verse Um, means that we don't skip the hard ones. And the ones that we have today is a little controversial. There's lots of, um, some debate about what this means, an unforgivable sin. What does that mean? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit? How can you even do that? Um, When Jesus says, you're not my mother and my brother, and these are my mother and brother and sisters, what does that mean? When they tell him he's working for the devil, these are religious leaders, what does all that mean? So, man, you're welcome if you're a guest you get a really uplifting, just super easy to understand sermon. I'm sorry that I'm the one that has to preach it to you, to be honest with you. But here's what we're going to learn is we're going to learn what we've been learning in Mark. And it's the question that we're answering that Mark is trying to answer, I think. And he's trying to prove something. He's writing to a bunch of Roman Christians who are being persecuted like nobody's business. And they think they're going to die any day. And we're not under that type of intense persecution, but if you walk outside for 10 minutes and get surrounded by the whole world, it just is like, man, how can we continue to be Christians? Because there's so much coming against us. The world's crazy. And Mark's writing a gospel, um, actually the Holy Spirit's writing a gospel through Mark to Roman Christians and to 2021 Oklahoma Christians and the rest of the world. And they're answering this question, it's so important, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus actually? And that's what's happening here. And what you got now is these crowds of people. It's so fast-paced. Jesus has been healing people. He had just 
like escaped people because it literally says like the previous scriptures um, said that they thought he was going to be crushed. So he had to, he told the disciples, go, go get the boat ready. And then it was like next scene. I mean, one sentence to a next is a whole nother scene. He goes up on the mountain. He anoints the apostles, gives them power, calls them by name to send them out. Then he goes home. Then the crowd follows him. They're still like trying to trample over him. And then it's like, you got his house and they, his family, they think he's insane. And in the crowd, they just want a healer. And religious leaders call him the devil. And all this is just like happening, man, so fast. And if we were to read this with a lack of self-awareness and a lack of humility, we would read this scripture like we read a lot of scriptures. And we would think, oh, man, that's crazy that that happened one time. But the reality is, is that it still happens right now, and it happens in you, and it happens in me, because the crowd and his family and the Pharisees were doing things that you and I do. They were treating Jesus like you and I treat him. The crowd just wants Jesus to give them what they, what they want. He's a healer. Let's rush him. Let's get our thing from Jesus that we need. And then not talk about him again and then yell crucify him. His family just wants Jesus to be human again. They want him to not have authority. And they want him to not be God. And it's just, he must be insane. We do that. We label Jesus that way when he doesn't fit our mold. And then religious leaders go so far as to curse him and say there's no way God is like that. There's no way. And how many times have you done that and have I done that to just say, like, God doesn't look like I think he ought to look. I think he should be more accepting and more tolerant and more whatever. There's no way that he's the way that he is. He must be a worker of the devil. Family says he's insane. Crowd says he's healer. Leaders say he's the devil. And those labels might seem foreign, but they're not foreign, guys. It's hard to cope with Jesus as Lord. But he is. He's Lord. One of the best quotes um, of all time come from C.S. Lewis, and he says this. Some will say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him. I don't accept his claim to be God. And that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg <laughs> or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Current culture theory about Jesus is that he's a really tolerant dude. And he was a great teacher and probably a really good hang. Good to hang out with Jesus. He wanted everyone to self-actualize. He wanted, Jesus ultimately wanted everybody to just become whatever they think they should be or whatever they feel like in the moment. You don't like your gender? 
You don't like your sexuality? Be whatever. That's what culture would label Jesus as. It's that he came to tell us that everything's going to be okay. You do you, I'm going to do me. We're not going to get in each other's business. <laughs> this is a passive, uncertain, approval-addicted Jesus that we like to worship, and it's a false god. I watched a video, an interview. The title of the interview was... Um, I can't remember this lady's name, but WNBA player. The title of the video was, Her Faith is What Has Sustained Her to Be Herself. Something like that. I was like, oh man, athletes that love Jesus, like that's helpful. (laughs) And I started watching the video and and there's this interview with this woman and and she's talking about her coming out as non-binary. Which if you're not familiar with that term, that's basically saying I don't ascribe a gender to myself. I'm not male or female. And then in tears, they ask her, how did you have the strength to do that? Because it was all championing that sort of thing. How did you have the strength to do that? And in tears, with conviction and full of like total faith and love for God, man, she just convicted, said, couldn't even, got choked up, said, I could not do it if it wasn't for God. It's my faith in God that allowed me to choose to be who I actually am. He wouldn't let me go. That's what she said. He wouldn't let me go. Tears. Conviction, I was both sad and like so shocked and just frustrated at the same time. If your God doesn't get to have authority over your sexuality or over gender or over the created order, then he ceases to be God. He has no power at all. That is a false God and our culture loves that God and I'm just here to tell you, man, I know this sounds crazy, if you're in the room today and you're a guest, you're like, okay, this is not nice. I can't, if you came to hear like me preach a gospel that agrees with you, then you're, it's just not going to happen. The gospel is offensive. It rubs up against us, man. It hits us right in the face. And everything we think about God, it changes the whole thing. We have to be so offended by the gospel and say yes to it. That we say, I can't save myself. I don't know what reality is. I need a reality check. And the reality check, if you believe the gospel, has to be Jesus. He's pointing us to reality. So what we do with our bodies, what we do with our friends, and what we say about Jesus really matters. C.S. Lewis really sums it up here. And the truth is this, man. There is no way to know who Jesus is without the power and the work of the Spirit. That's why verse 29 is so important to us today. So we're going to look at who Jesus is by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. The first is this. What does it look when the Holy Spirit's at work? The work of the Spirit often looks crazy. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Just imagine this scene. His family, all these crowds coming out and his family who knows him, um, they say, okay, Jesus is crazy because Jesus is brother to me and brother to you and son to you. Jesus had become too familiar to his family. He was a little too human. He was only human and only a brother or a son. Well, they did what we do, and we do this a lot. They separated his humanity from his divinity, and that's no good. He was both God and man and still is. And one interesting thing to think about is these 
this family would have been a good Jewish family. They would have known their Old Testament. And they would have known that throughout the Old Testament, the talk of and the prophesying and the foreshadowing of a coming Messiah, that Jesus actually would have been the one that fulfilled all of the Old Testament and all the prophets and the law. They would have known that there would be some that, there's going to be someone that comes to fulfill that. But they were missing the Holy Spirit. And the fact is that it takes the Holy Spirit to even see Jesus for who he really is. It takes the work of God the Spirit to even know who God is. Jesus' mother, Mary, is particularly interesting to think about. It's so hard to figure out like, what's going on with her. 30 years prior to this, Gabriel would have come to her and said, you're going to have a son, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Messiah. He will be the Christ. An angel of the Lord, just remember that, came to her and told her that. And here's Mary again, like with her family, what it seems to be she's saying that he's lost his mind. Forgetting that he's Lord. I mean, and even if she didn't, it didn't jog her memory about Gabriel coming to her about Jesus, it still would have been, hey, you had a baby and you did that as a virgin. That as well. And also in John 2, when Jesus is at this wedding and Mary, who seemed to be like helping plan the wedding or run it or whatever, comes to Jesus and she says, we're out of wine, probably freaking out. And Jesus, because he's so compassionate, because he's God, he becomes the life of the party and turns in all that water into barrels and barrels and barrels of way too much wine for one wedding. So I just think about, think about the contrast. She gives birth. He's, angel tells her he's the son of God. It's a virgin birth. Then you move on to the wedding and it's like, now we get fun, fun miracle, Jesus, you know? It's like, that's a pretty good party trick, Jesus. We're out of wine. I think we would probably all be telling that just a lot, you know, like, hey, they're out of wine. We're out of. Turns the water into wine. That's all really fun, life of the party stuff. But then you get this, like, intense moment with Jesus where the crowd's pressing in on him and where it seems crazy and the religious leaders hate his guts and now it's stressful and she does what really, honestly, any good mom would do, but what all of us do with Jesus is she now needs Jesus to be only human again. She remembers that he's her son, but she forgets that he's God's son. And we do that as well. How many of us, like, we love life of the party Jesus. We love the, the kind of Jesus that's like all smiles and all fun and does what we want when we want and then just shuts his mouth when it's not time for him to, but the... Jesus that comes in and is, brings a healthy amount of chaos and disruption to our life. We just try to tell him, like, hey, man, you need to go back to being human. Stop being authority over me. We want to follow Jesus so long as he is the normal guy to be around and plays it cool. So long as everybody else likes him, we like him. But as soon as Jesus draws a line and shows that he's the boss over sexual identity, politics, jobs, our family, our attitudes, and our will, we act like he's the crazy one and he needs to go back to being human. Today the Bible is making us come face to face with Jesus' lordship as 
God? What is the Holy Spirit revealing to you right now about Jesus that may seem a little crazy, a little scary? When the Holy Spirit works, it's a little crazy. We begin to think about the work of God seeming scary or crazy. We tend to think he must not be working at all. But remember what Isaiah 55, 8 says? This is reality. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is different than us. You are made in his image, but he is higher. And I love that song. Like, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. That is the life of a Christian, to trust Jesus with our life. And to say, what's right? What's the right thing to do? Not what do I feel like today? What am I called to do? Man, if the married people in the room, just think about if you were just ruled by your feelings. You'd never be at church, for sure. You'd be sleeping right now. But even staying married more than 10 minutes for you would probably be hard. It's our commitment to each other. It's our commitment to Jesus. And it's his commitment to us, ultimately, that fuels our emotion. And you're not always going to feel it, man. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. That's what a Christian says. I'm trusting God no matter what, man. I'm trusting God no matter what. The second is this. The work of the Spirit always exalts Jesus And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. You guys are looking for names for just like, you know, I'm just kidding, don't use that name. That's a weird one. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And he he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. So this is so kind of Jesus to do this. He doesn't rebuke them for calling him his enemy. He pulls them in and starts to teach them. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Here's where it gets really interesting. So, so far Jesus has pulled them close. He said kingdoms cannot be divided against themselves. And then he starts to preach about his kingdom coming on earth, him binding the strong men. They're probably going, okay, what does that mean? And then he says something that's just a total mic drop. He says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but, whatever, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. One thing that's interesting to note, it's really important, Jesus is not saying, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, all the children of all men. That's important to note. And then it's this crazy thing where he says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. But the first thing we gotta see is the incredible amount of grace that Jesus shows his opponents and us. All blasphemies, the children of man, What kind of grace is that? He's saying that to a group of people that just called him Satan. 
after he didn't rebuke them, after he didn't do what James and John wanted him to do later in Mark, and like just bring down some sort of like fire strike on the town, if, you know, if I'm the king of kings and lord of lords and you call me my enemy, whew, that'd be a bad day, man. I'd just probably, you know what, let's just burn it all up and start over. He does what only Jesus can do. That's why I'm so glad that I'm not God. He pulls them around, his enemies, he pulls around him and he starts to teach them. Guys, Satan can't be divided against himself. A kingdom can't be divided against itself. A house can't be divided against itself. And then he lovingly gives them the gospel. All sins. All blasphemies. That is great news today, man. That literally is everything. Except he says there's one thing that cannot be forgiven. And it makes so much sense because the Holy Spirit's job is to exalt Jesus. The one thing, if you reject the Holy Spirit who actually enacts grace... The Holy Spirit who actually exalts the one who is the way to the Father, if you reject him, you cannot be saved. Here's the thing. The work of the Spirit always exalts Jesus. You cannot get to Jesus without a work of the Spirit. The end. And that's what he's telling them here. Blasphemy against me is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We are one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And there's only one way to God. It's through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Jesus speaks plainly to them, and he explains that if he were Satan, then why would it be beneficial for Satan to send somebody who works from Satan to work against his own kingdom by casting out his demons? And then Jesus begins to say something that not only contradicts their accusations towards them, but actually counteracts it. He says, and he's explaining to them who he is and why he came. So this is that question, who is Jesus? The kingdom of God at hand. And he says it this way, he says, the strong man must be bound before his house can be plundered. Strong man in the house seems like a less than threatening scene. However, the language here is of a king in his castle. When we see strong man in a house, we see a guy that probably works out quite a good bit, but he's the only one in there by himself. This language originally, though, is about a king and his castle. And inside his castle are his things. And what Jesus is saying is, there is a king of this house, this world, and he has a castle, and he has things inside the castle, and the walls are inescapable. And what is inside the castle, what belongs to the king of this world, is you and me apart from him. And now Jesus is saying, I'm coming to bind up the strong man and plunder his house. That's the gospel. Set the captive free. Luke 4 and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was, cut, was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now listen, don't just have this verse just kind of read over you. Absorb it, get into the moment. Sabbath day in the temple, 
The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to God who wrote the Bible. And he unrolled the scroll, Jesus did, and found the place where it was written. And here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And stop right there. That alone is incredible. But that passage had been read before. It's the next line that starts to get crazy. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Imagine the scene. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is authority. That is power from on high. Jesus fulfilling the law and prophets right before them. There's no power in this world. There's no power under this world or above it that comes close to matching the power of Jesus. There is no strong man, no king, no addiction, no disease, no anxiety, no devil in hell that can stand up to him. By the power of the Spirit, Jesus was anointed to set the captive free, and it's the same Spirit that exalts him today and opens our eyes to see Jesus as the only one who can set us free. Undeserved, unmeasurable amount of grace. Jesus is telling us that there is literally nothing that is unforgivable. Nothing. The only thing is, don't reject the one who enacts forgiveness and exalts the only one who can forgive. Don't reject the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit exalts Jesus. Jesus is the way to the Father. Third is this. The work of the Spirit creates true family. So the work of the Spirit seems a little crazy sometimes. It's outside of the norm. It disrupts our reality and gives us a real reality. And it also the work of the Spirit exalts Jesus. And the work of the Spirit creates true family. And here's this scene in 31 through 35, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And at first glance, you might read this and think wrongfully, that Jesus doesn't care about earthly families. That's not true. That would contradict the rest of Scripture. God loves family. He tells us to honor our father and mother. What Jesus is saying is that there is an even deeper family than the one that we have on earth. There's an eternal family. And by the work of the Spirit, because of Jesus' work on the cross, by the power of the Spirit, when we say yes to Jesus... We are actually entering into an eternal, deeper, more rich family. It's the family that we're adopted into. When you think about earthly family, some have good thoughts about that. Some have really hard thoughts, man. Some were abandoned by your family. Some of you abandoned your family. I mean, some of you in some ways have abandoned your family just to follow Jesus. 
the tie of family on earth um, is strong. It's flesh and blood. It's, it matters. It's a really deep tie. However, many of us have experienced the pain of it. When we are saved, we are adopted into a family because of Jesus. We're adopted by the Father into a new family, one that cannot be eternally broken. And it's now Jesus' own flesh and blood that unites us. It makes us brothers. It makes us sisters. It makes some spiritual moms, some spiritual fathers. All united because of the flesh and blood of Jesus torn apart on the cross. You have to understand what I'm saying today. This question, who is Jesus, is being answered right before us. He's not just healer. He's not here for all of your consumeristic needs. He is a healer, but that's not just what he is. He's not lunatic. He's not madman. You can't even... You can't even talk about Jesus like he's just a good moral teacher. That makes no sense when you look at his life. He actually really is God Almighty. He actually really is Lord. He actually really does have the name above every name. So I'm going to invite you. Stop chasing your tail today. Think about Jesus and remember who he is. And then in light of who he is, remember who you are. You are not first the things that you possess. You are not first the things that you want. You are not first your ideal of community and life and family and job and career. You are not first an American citizen. You are first and foremost a son or a daughter of God the Father by the work of Jesus Christ. That's what you are first and foremost. Who is Jesus? He's Lord. Who are we? We submit to him. We submit to him. We're his followers. We're about to take the table today, and we're going to have an opportunity to remember true family and true flesh and blood. And as we do it, I just want to invite you to think about your life. Think about your loves. Think about the things that you have inevitably worshipped instead of God. Let's collectively lay those down again as we take the table of the Lord today.